Now as you make yourself comfortable, you might like to uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, that's page 980, 980 in the church Bibles. I think it will help you if you have uh, that in front of you. It will certainly help me to know that you know why I'm saying what I'm saying. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, page 980. And uh, you'll have gathered by now that we're looking towards next Sunday uh, and our gift day. And the church wardens have asked uh, Andrew and I to preach morning and evening um, uh, on the whole issue of giving. And we're thinking of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven all day. And we're looking at parables, and this time, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. I was uh, speaking to a retired Christian couple not so long ago. I was commenting on how hectic and busy their lives were, how they seemed to be as busy in retirement as they ever were beforehand. Uh, Maybe some of you know that. Uh, And the wife said this to me. uh, We're getting older, and we realise that we don't have much time left, so... Now let me stop there and ask you how you think she finished the sentence. Do you think she said, we're getting older and we realise that we don't have much time left so we want to spend more time with the family and the grandchildren? No, she didn't say that. Uh, We're getting older and we realise that we don't have much time left so we're doing as much travelling as possible. She didn't say that either. We're getting older and we realise that we don't have much time left so we're taking it easy, enjoying each other's company and doing all the things we didn't have time to do when we were younger. Nope. She said this. We're getting older and we realise we don't have much time left so we're working hard to make every opportunity count for the Gospel. It was very striking talking to this couple as many of their contemporaries are enjoying regular trips abroad and having time for all the hobbies they so love while they, in retirement, are working as hard as ever for the Lord and for the spread of the Gospel. Uh, some years ago, a, a man, in his, a young man in his mid-twenties gave up a terrific job with great prospects and sold his home to pay his way through theological college. His desire was simple. He wanted to be better equipped to serve Jesus in his local church. That was it. Caroline, my wife and I, uh, met a lass in her early 30s on a skiing trip some years ago. She had uh, a big job in the city. She was an actuary. And uh, she took the decision to work part-time to free herself up to have time to teach women the Bible. Those are probably the closest real-life parallels that I've personally encountered to the characters here in the parables in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Let me remind you what Jesus said, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found it, When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In so many ways, these two little parables are not difficult to understand. They're about people being committed to the cause of the gospel. People sold out and single-minded in their service of Christ. People determined and dogged in in their dedication to know the Lord. People with a focus on the final day. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, says Jesus in verses 44 and 45. It is so precious 
so precious that its citizens are willing to put all their eggs into one basket. In betting terms, if you'll excuse me using a term from the bookies, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are people who believe they are backing a winner and they have put their money where their mouth is, ready to stake everything on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these are parables of total commitment and as a result... They challenge half-heartedness and expose the hypocrisy of nominalism. And of course, down through the centuries, there have been stories of plenty of people who have lived this way, ready to put everything, everything, before uh, into the kingdom of heaven and before everything else. I think of Jim Elliot the 20th century Christian missionary who went to Ecuador to evangelise the Hurani people. You know the story of Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot was killed by those very people as he attempted to tell them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his biography, uh, which is called In the Shadow of the Almighty, written by his wife, Elizabeth, she quotes what has become a famous diary entry of Jim's. Have you heard it? Jim Elliot wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is the essence of these parables, telling us that the kingdom of heaven is more precious than life itself. Because in the kingdom of heaven, we are given life beyond the grave. Jim Elliot knew that. He's an example of living like this. And then in the sporting arena... Eric Little lived this way. Do you know Eric Little? Of course you do. His story was told in the film The Chariots of Fire. Eric Little, the sprinter who was prepared to give up the chance of running for an Olympic medal because his race was scheduled to be run on a Sunday. His love for Christ and his desire to be obedient to the Master was far more important than what is most highly prized in the world of sport, being crowned Olympic champion. Now that, says Jesus, is what the Kingdom of Heaven is like. It is worth more than anything this world can give. And when you discover the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says you will give up everything for it. Now now please don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that I can buy my way into God's kingdom by total commitment to him. So he's not teaching that I need to get it, that in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, I need to give up everything. That's not the point at all. Quite the opposite, in fact. The citizens of the kingdom of heaven are people who know that they have been given freely the greatest gift any human being can have. The gift of forgiveness. The the gift of being sure of spending eternity with the Lord Jesus. The gift of having a relationship with Jesus now and for eternity. And the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are so thrilled to have that greatest prize, the greatest prize available to mankind, that they put it above everything else. That's the point. So just look at the little word joy in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. I I can still remember the first time I really understood the the truth of the good news of Jesus. Oh yeah, I'd been going to church for years. But then suddenly I understood what it was all about. I wonder if you can remember that. I was so overwhelmed by it. For weeks I went around with a permanent grin on my face. It's probably a real pain in the neck, but anyway. 
I remember being at work thinking to myself, this is unbelievable news. Jesus died for me. I'm forgiven. Eternity is certain. And I was so full of joy that, yes, I'd have done anything for Jesus. Now let me ask you gently, is that you? Would you give up everything for Jesus Christ? Have you, have you ever felt like that about being a Christian? Well, if not, then you've probably never found the kingdom of heaven. Because that, says Jesus, is the experience of everyone who does find the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're looking at these parables closely, you'll be saying to me, doesn't, Jesus doesn't say that's the experience of everyone who does find the kingdom of heaven. Well, let me explain why I come to that conclusion. You see, when I read these two parables this last week, I thought to myself, why does Jesus tell two parables that effectively say the same thing? Why does he do that? Well, the answer is in the detail. Verse 44 speaks of a man, a farm labourer, who stumbles across treasure in a field. Verse 45, by contrast, is the story of a businessman, a pearl merchant, who's given his life to finding pearls. Now, here's the point. In these two cameos, Jesus brilliantly covers the whole gamut of humanity. The first man is a poor man, the second is rich. The first, a farm labourer, the second, a businessman. And most importantly of all, the first stumbles upon the treasure. The second has dedicated his life to looking for it. And so do you see, in just a few words, Jesus brilliantly sketches out for us two extremes. And in doing so, he includes everyone else in between. And so he says, this readiness to give up everything is what happens when people find the kingdom of heaven. Look at these extremes and you'll find everybody in between. When they really find the kingdom of heaven, they will want to give up everything. See, look, I've met people like the farm labourer, maybe you have too, people who've not been looking for answers to life, people who are just happily going about their everyday routine, when suddenly they hear the message of Jesus and their lives are totally turned around. It's 15 years ago now that I met a girl called Julie. She was happy, uh, just months away from being married. She was young, she had the whole of her life before her. She was uh, healthy. She didn't have much money, but that didn't bother her. Uh, one day she came to church to hear her bands of marriage being read, just going about her normal routine. That was what she was doing. She came to hear her bands of marriage being read. But on that day, she not only heard her bands, she heard something that was truly life-changing. She heard this simple message of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved her and gave himself up for her. She heard that she could be forgiven. She understood how she could spend all eternity with Jesus and she became a Christian. Like the man in verse 44, you see, she stumbled across the treasure of the gospel without really looking for it and yet when she found it, she knew she'd found what life is really all about. And she became totally sold out for Jesus Christ. So thrilled by the message of the gospel, ready to give up everything for him. A few years ago I met a man like this merchant in verse 45. He worked in banking. He was rich. To look at him you think he had everything. But making it in business was just another disappointment for him. He was dissatisfied with life. When he was younger he looked into other religions. He travelled around the world searching for meaning. Most of his life, it seemed, had been a quest to discover the purpose of life. 
Uh, he turned up to a, a Christianity Explored course that I was running. A, a, a work colleague had invited him along. And as the weeks unfolded, Stephen began to realise he'd found in Jesus the answer to life itself. See, his quest was over and he was, I should say, is one of the most dedicated and committed Christians I know. Money is nothing to him. He earns tonnes of it and gives tonnes of it away to fund gospel ministry because he knows the gospel is of immeasurable worth. He knows that the gospel is what life is about and he wants others to know that too. Yeah, let me ask you, like Julie and, and Stephen, have you discovered that Jesus is the treasure of life? See, here he's saying in these parables, the kingdom of heaven is so precious that when we find it, we will give up everything for it. And Jesus says that's true of everyone who is a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven, whether poor or rich, labourer or businessman, whether you stumble across the gospel or whether you've searched for it all your life. But look, if that's true, why are, so, why are there so few examples of Christians living this way? Living a commitment to Christ that, is true, that truly costs everything. This is going to sound strange, but let me tell you, it, it's, it's challenging, it's, um, it's uncomfortable being a preacher. Now, you might be thinking it's uncomfortable being a listener. I, I find it's massively challenging as I've looked at these verses over these last ten days or so. I found myself challenged to the core. Because I just realised how, how far short I'm living of this. And one of the things that challenges me most when I'm thinking about this is when I see the commitment of unbelievers to other things that don't matter at all. We've been following the, uh, the success of Lewis Hamilton. Do you know that name? The Formula One rookie driver who won the Canadian Grand Prix last weekend. He's on pole position of the US Grand Prix later today. He has made a spectacular start in the sport, having finished on the podium on all six races that he's been in. What has hit me, though, about the story is of his humble beginnings. Have you read about it? He's from a town called Stevenage, just a little way away from my hometown. And uh, his dad, when they were living in Stevenage, held down three jobs to fund his son's desire to race go-karts and then faster cars. He had to work his socks off for his son's dream. Such commitment, remarkable. We see it in sport, we see it in commerce and show business as well. Have you been following those uh, two reality TV shows that ended last week? I don't know why they call them reality TV shows. There's nothing less like reality at all, but there we go. The Apprentice has shown the ruthless cut and thrust world of big business as contestants have sparred for the one hugely lucrative position as Sir Alan Sugar's Apprentice. And then in show business, I know people who've uh, been glued to their sets every Saturday night watching Any Dream Will Do. <laughs> the Hunt for Joseph, the lead role in Andrew Lloyd Webber's West End production. Have you been watching them? Well, whether you have or not, you know how they go. In both these shows, the contestants give up everything to be on the show. They give up everything for the treasure of the huge job and for fame and fortune and the financial reward that goes with it. And we'll know some of that in our own lives when we look on at other people around us in the world of sport and commerce and show business. We meet people who show total commitment and have sacrificed everything for their dream. 
And yet here in the Gospel we're told, and don't we believe it, we have the greatest treasure of all and yet so few Christians live this way. Listen to the words of uh, Craig Blomberg in his excellent commentary on the parables. Um, He's writing into an American culture, but uh, I think we can see uh, the parallel with British church culture here as well. Rather than total commitment to Christ, he says this, with rare exceptions we see precisely the opposite. Ours is a culture in which religious commitment, including Christian activity, functions as a kind of add-on to our real priorities. When convenient, we'll go to church or or get involved in this or that programme or small group. When not too much is at stake, we will witness or stand up for and model Christian integrity in the workplace. When we have a surplus, we'll give a little more to the church or to Christian causes. Why are so many American Christians so shallow, so superficial in their commitment, he asks. It's a good question. Why do we see so few Christians living a commitment to Christ that truly cost them something significant? Why do so few of us live this parable? I include myself in this. Why do we not see Christians whose family have flown the nest downsizing and giving a significant chunk of the proceeds towards supporting gospel ministry? Why don't we see more Christians in their careers stand for Christ and his standards and his ethics regardless of the consequences? Why don't we see more Christians changing jobs so they have more time to serve the Lord in other ways? Why don't more Christians adopt a radically different pattern of spending? It is remarkable how much we could save if we live differently. See, a few years ago, a friend called Andrea, a friend from my time in London, she wanted us to support a Christian project, but she didn't think she had much money or, or the money to do it. So she looked at her lifestyle. I can still remember her talking it through with me, trying to work it out. Uh, she was working in London and brought three cups of coffee a day at £2 per cup. So she decided to take a flask of coffee to work instead of popping round the corner to Starbucks. Every time she poured out a cup of coffee from her flask, she put £2 in a pot. And uh, a, a simple change in her spending pattern saved her £6 a day. You can do the, the, the sum, £30 a week, £120 a month. Suddenly she was able to pledge £1,500 to support the Christian work that she wanted to support. It's not a huge thing. But it does demonstrate the spirit of these parables, doesn't it? A belief that when we have the kingdom of heaven, we have the greatest treasure in the world. And if we really believe that, we'll put our money where our mouth is, says Jesus. Now, as we head towards next week's gift day, again, let me say, look, if you're a visitor here, um, please don't feel that we're um, asking you for money. We're not doing that at all. We do this once a year, that's all. As we head towards next week's gift day, living these parables could well be reflected in the way we give. That's why the wardens have asked me to preach on giving today. But let me say, this parable is about much more than giving to this church. How you respond to the gift day is between you and the Lord, and I know we can just leave that in your hands but you see the parable before us this morning challenges us to far more than how much we give at an annual gift day these parables challenge us to demonstrate that we believe the kingdom of heaven is by far and away the most important thing we could ever be part of they challenge us to demonstrate that through obvious visible lifestyle choices even to the point where it becomes noticeably less comfortable than it might otherwise be 
Christian, these parables ask us, does following Jesus mean that we actually go without some things? And if not, why not? See, as as Craig Blomberg asks, why are so many Christians so shallow, so superficial in their commitment? Now, there are, of course, many answers to that question, but as I close, let me just give you two very briefly. Again, we've touched on one of them, and it's the word joy in verse 44. When this man found uh, this uh, great treasure in the field, he hid it, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. When I see people first converted to the Lord Jesus, I see people again and again who will do anything for him because they are so thankful to him for all that he's done for them. They are overwhelmed by a God who would be so kind in rescuing them from judgment and promising them eternity. So to give him everything is not wild, reckless and irresponsible. It is a response to the extravagant and generous love already given to them. Let me ask you, Christian, has your joy in the gospel disappeared? Perhaps you've been knocking around Christian things for a long time. And perhaps you can remember a time when you would go anywhere for Jesus, when you would do anything for him. But now that's just gone a bit. You can remember the time when the gospel really did capture your heart. Well, look, if you're being challenged today and you're thinking that's gone, Christian, will you pray for that again? And if you've never felt that, then these parables say you've probably never known the Lord Jesus personally. Well, then if that's you, then pray that the Lord would show you the wonder of the gospel. Because there's no way we'll live this unless we have deep joy for him and unless we're committed to him. Joy is the motivation for living this kind of life. The second reason we don't live it, the second motivation that comes immediately out of uh, these, these passages, are judgment, joy and then judgment. You see, it's no coincidence that in the next parable, Jesus explains just how much is at stake. Verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age, says Jesus. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Of course, Jesus isn't talking about fish, but people. And when we see that people without the gospel will be cast aside on Judgment Day, compassion will have us giving everything to change that. See, one of the reasons we don't give everything to gospel need is because we don't really believe in a final day of judgment. Joy and judgment. Two things to motivate us towards this kind of self-sacrificial living. And they are two things that flow from the cross of Jesus. Jesus who gave up the uninterrupted privileges of eternity and of divinity. Who gave those up to come down and to live with the constraints of frail mortal body. To experience rejection from his closest friends and ultimately to be abused, mocked, flogged and executed in one of the most excruciating and shameful deaths ever devised by human beings. He sacrificed all for us 
to rescue us from judgment and to give us a a ticket into the kingdom of heaven. Such joy. And so now the Christian life is one of sacrifice for him and for others in return. Let's pray together.